as promised last Lord's Day, we move on in Hebrews chapter 11, today verses 23 through 28, reproduced in your copy of the bulletin, or you can follow along in your copy of the scriptures, Hebrews 11, 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You may see that I gave for a sermon title today, Decisions, Decisions, Decisions. And you'll see why that title was chosen in just a moment. But if I had to retitle it, or uh, if there was a a secondary or parenthetical uh, title, it would be this, With Moses... In the school of faith, because I think within these six verses, there's more about Christian faith, Christian life, Christian discipleship. There may be more things compressed into these six verses than in any other six verses in the whole of the Bible. We know that the essence of faith is belief, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and you shall be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we also know that genuine saving faith is always accompanied by obedience. Not that obedience saves. It's faith that saves. That has been often said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by obedience. Or another way of putting it is we are not only to believe in Christ, but that belief should lead us to also follow Christ. John 10, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And so sometimes when I'm uh, meeting somebody or talking with somebody, and uh, particularly those who are professing Christians, uh, rather than asking the person, do you believe in Christ? Uh, I like to ask, are you following Christ? Because we also know from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. And so what we see in Moses' life is not 
one who just believes in God and has faith and trust in God, but that faith issues forth in action, trusting action, depending on and following God's will and God's words. In Luke 14, uh, Jesus said this, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first down, first sit down and count the cost? Now, why the primary application of that verse that I've heard in my uh, years in the church has been during the building program. Now, let's count the cost before we uh, add onto the building or something like that. That's not the context in which uh, Jesus gave those words. As a matter of fact, uh, the context in which Jesus gave those words, uh, in which he issues uh, the, the, the warning, really, the, the caution and the exhortation, uh, count the cost, is in the context of thinking about following him. Like, if you, you, you want to follow me, he says, whoever would be my disciple must uh, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And, and a lot of other things that Jesus said about following him. And so he tells the crowd, as you're thinking about whether you're going to decide to follow me or not, count the cost. Uh, go in, eyes wide open. Uh, Jesus was a full disclosure savior. <laughs> he, he wanted everybody to know what they were getting into when they decided to follow him. And so faith in Christ, trust in Christ, following Christ is a conscious decision uh, to follow him no matter what the cost and no matter what the call. And in these verses, what we're going to see are a series of decisions uh, that Moses made uh, based on faith, his faith in God. Moses and his parents, which we'll begin with them. Uh, the decision by Moses' parents in verse 23, to live by faith and not by fear. To live by faith and not by fear. Verse 23, they were not afraid of the king's edict. You know what the king's edict was. The king's edict was that all Hebrew babies born, all the male babies uh, were to be immediately killed uh, under penalty of death yourself. I mean, can you, can you sort of imagine what the penalty would be if you defied Pharaoh and defied his edict? If you were found to have a male Hebrew child that you did not put to death in accordance with the king's law? I'm only speculating uh, but given the nature and character of this pharaoh, my guess is those parents would be put to death. In fact, to be honest, my speculative opinion is he would probably make them watch while they put the baby to death and then would kill them. And so there is much to be feared in disobeying pharaoh's law. And so why did these parents do that? Why did Moses' mom and dad defy Pharaoh, not be afraid of the consequences, and disobey the edict? Aren't we supposed to obey the laws of the land? Aren't we supposed to submit ourselves uh, to those who are in us in authority? And the answer is, yes, we are. Romans tells us that with one caveat. And it's a critical caveat because we're always required to submit ourselves to the laws of the land and those who are in authority over us unless to do that requires us 
to sin against God. If we are required by law to sin against God, then, as the apostle said, we must obey God and not men. And this is what Moses' parents did. They knew murder was a sin. And so rather than obey the law of the land, which was unjust and unrighteous, they obeyed God and chose instead uh, to hide their baby and nurture it. And so this was their faith, not giving in to fear, but trusting God that if they did what was right in his eyes, he would take care of whatever the consequences would be. Uh, Let me also add that faith is not stupidity. They kept Moses, but they kept him hidden. They did not flaunt him. They did not parade him in front of Pharaoh or the officials. We don't have to obey you. (laughs) No, faith is not stupid. Uh, I I love Jesus' exhortation as he's getting ready to send the apostles out on his behalf uh, with power and authority uh, to heal and do all sorts of miraculous things and preach the good news of the kingdom. Jesus says, now I want you to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. I think a lot of times we get the gentle as doves part right. But I'm not so sure we always get the wise as serpents part right. Again, you know, bless our hearts. Sometimes we're just stupid as rocks, you know, in the way we go about that. And Jesus said, no, it should be wise, not stupid, you know, but gentle as doves. I found this quote from A.W. Pink, whose commentary I'm leaning on heavily, by the way, for our study in Hebrews. He said this, to to needlessly expose ourselves to danger is sin. To needlessly expose ourselves to danger is sin. They, they hit him doing what was right in his side. And then verses 24 and 25. The decision by Moses to live by faith and leave behind favor, fortune, and fulfillment. To live by faith, making the decision to leave behind Fame, fortune, favor, and fulfillment. Uh, Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He was not forced. He was not coerced. He could have continued to be identified as Pharaoh's daughter without any uh, negative uh, repercussions. And there may have even been reasons why Moses could have taken that path. First of all, Moses could have reasoned, you know, if I denounce my affiliation with Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and if I identify myself with the Hebrews and the Hebrew people, they may interpret that as ingratitude. Look at all we did for you. We, we literally saved your life. We, we took you up out of the river. We raised you as our own. You had all of the privileges. 
of Pharaoh's son. How can you walk away from this? Why would you do that? He could incur their view of ingratitude and even anger. <laughs> you might say how, how ungrateful he could be. Moses could have reasoned, that would be terrible. I should probably just stay put. Or Moses could have reasoned this way. God raised me up into his, this position. It was God's sovereign providence and mercy that saved my life and caused me to be raised in Pharaoh's court, in Pharaoh's palace, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so perhaps this is the way God is going to deliver my people from slavery. He's going to use my position as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's going to use my power. He's going to use my influence. God is going to use my status for good, for the blessing and benefit of the Hebrew people. Isn't that what Joseph did? Remember? Years, decades, uh, you know, a hundred years prior or more. Joseph was raised up second in command to Pharaoh. He, he didn't renounce that position. He leveraged it for God's people. He could have reasoned that way. Although there is one critical difference between Joseph and his situation and Moses and his situation. Because God raised up Joseph in order to save the Hebrew people from starvation and extinction. God raised up Moses to deliver the Hebrew people from Egyptian slavery. That he could not do in his present position. And so Moses voluntarily gives up his position in order to identify as a fellow Hebrew, even as they are enslaved and, uh, and abused. You know, thinking about this, it dawned on me uh, that what we see here is Moses leaving and cleaving, not unlike the way we characterize the marriage relationship. Leaving and cleaving. He's leaving the world behind, and he's cleaving to Christ. He's cleaving to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Leaving and cleaving. And so actually this passage is as much about repentance as it is faith. I believe those have rightly been characterized as two sides of the same coin. To repent of sin and worldliness and have faith in Jesus Christ. Leave off from following the world and its ways, our sinful desires and their ways, to leave that and cleave to Christ and follow him and his will and his ways. On one occasion, the disciples said this, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What did they leave? They left fishing nets and stinky fish. <laughs> That's what they left in order to follow Christ. When Moses says, God, I have left everything to follow you, what did Moses leave? He left wealth. He left comfort. He left position. He left power. He left honor. As Pharaoh's son, he would have been honored nearly as a god when Pharaoh would die, who becomes the new Pharaoh? 
probably Moses. Probably Moses is in line to be the next Pharaoh. And so Moses leaves all of that in order to follow God. We could say that faith is defined by refusing and choosing, leaving and cleaving, refusing and choosing. He refused to continue in his position of power and privilege, and instead he chooses to be identified with the Hebrews, even in their slavery. Verse 25 says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Ah, yes, if sin wasn't so attractive, it wouldn't be a temptation. (laughs) But it is. If sin was always ugly and difficult and uncomfortable, we wouldn't want anything to do with it. But the Bible, telling it like it is, understands there certainly are pleasures that accompany sinning. But the Bible also rightly points out these are fleeting pleasures. These are temporary pleasures. They may satisfy for a moment, and they do. (laughs) But the satisfaction doesn't last. Not only that, it almost inevitably leads to a craving for more. Satisfies, it's not a lasting satisfaction, and so there's a craving for more, which I think could be called uh, the law of diminishing returns. In order to get the same high as before, you have to have more of whatever it is whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, the rush and the high that you got initially the first time or the second or third time diminishes over time. So what do you have to do? You have to increase the dosage in order to try to achieve the same level of sinful satisfaction. That's the law of diminishing returns. And so every alcoholic began with one drink. Every porn addict began with one lustful look. Every drug addict began with one episode of drug taking. That's how it began. But apart from the saving mercies of Christ, that's not where it ends. It just continues to escalate. Moses got it. Moses got it, and I am sure he would have been afforded any sinful pleasure his heart desired in Pharaoh's court. But he got it, and he said he refused the fleeting pleasures of sin in order to be identified with God and his people. Verse 26, By faith Moses reasoned that disgrace for the sake of Christ was better than the rewards of earth because the future reward from Christ was better. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That could be either the reproach of being uh, the Savior of Israel or the reproach of identifying with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, of course, would be the Savior 
of, of Israel. What would motivate him to voluntarily denounce the treasures of Egypt? What could the possible motivation be? An understanding by faith that this life is not all there is. And even the best that this life has to offer isn't worth comparing the best of what eternal life has to offer. And that was Moses' reasoning, enabling him to walk away from the wealth of Egypt. And, and that's, that's the struggle. What do we really believe? Do we really believe that the choicest things that this life has to offer, and they are many, and they are to be received with thanks, but do we really believe that they are the ultimate experience we could ever have in time or eternity? Or do we understand that they are really nothing compared to what is coming? From time to time, or maybe constantly, what happens is we're all about the here and now. And, and this, by the way, this, this, is, this is the pressure of the world. You know, this is every uh, television commercial, every ad, every sidebar ad in, in your, uh, uh, your feed, every movie, every song is all about, I want to be happy now. I want to be well supplied now. I want to live in peace now. I want to be rich now. I want to be powerful now. I want to be recognized and appreciated and respected and honored now. But instead, by faith, Moses was not looking for his reward now. He was looking for his reward in the life to come. And therefore, all of these other things, power, prestige, honor, appreciation, thanks, all of these things had a lesser place in his heart. Because God and the glory that was coming had the supreme place in his heart. So he knew it was okay to forego these glorious things, which are temporary, for the more glorious things that are coming, which are eternal. Oh, I got this one. I think this is also from A.W. Pink. The world thinks Christians are crazy for missing out on so much. But Christians think the non-Christian is insane because he's going to miss out so much on what is to come. Verse 27, the decision by Moses to live by faith and not cave in to the pressure of Pharaoh. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Uh, only yesterday did I did a kind of register. Okay, yeah, Moses left Egypt twice. I forgot about that. He left Egypt once, which was in our scripture reading uh, today. He's found out after murdering uh, an Egyptian soldier. And he leaves that time. And if you'll know it, I believe the scripture says, because he was afraid <laughs> of, of being found out. And, and so... For myself personally, I'm persuaded that verse 27 has reference to Moses leaving the second time, appearing before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh's answer, I believe the original Hebrew is no way, Jose. Uh, you can't, I'm not losing my workforce. 
for you or your God or for anything else. And I think that's what verse 27 has reference to, that by faith he left Egypt uh, not being afraid of the anger and wrath of Pharaoh uh, who, who threatened him, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This one's from John MacArthur. (laughs) Faith shuts its ears to the howling voices of sinful desire from within and the scowling voices of worldly terror from without and only listens to and acts in obedience to the promises and commands of God. It says here, Moses didn't give in uh, to fear. And that is often what plagues and uh, distorts, clouds our thinking and our faith. You know, if I obey God, maybe this is going to happen. If I obey God, maybe this is going to happen. Or, you know, how can this happen? Or what's going to happen? We we imagine and project all sorts of presumed consequences, which are usually negative in our thinking, if we follow God and obey his will. That's what Moses was able to endure. He he was able to remove all doubt from his mind and just be focused on God and his will and, and and his ways. It says, as seeing him who is invisible. Uh, again, I, for one, uh, think that that has reference to the burning bush. When Moses comes back uh, with the command from God to be the savior of Israel and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, he has already seen a manifestation of God in the burning bush where Moses, as you know, says, who, who, who are you? Who should I say sent me? And God gives that a dramatic declaration. I am who I am. Tell them the great I am has sent you to them, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so in a sense, in that moment, Moses sees God. That's in big quotes. <laughs> he just sees the birth bush, but he knows that God by his spirit is inhabiting the bush. And Moses never forgets it. And he always remembers that he's not standing in the presence of Pharaoh. He's standing in the presence of God. Even though he's invisible, Moses knows this is the God who will never leave him and never forsake him and never be away from him. Moses sees with the eyes of faith, uh, not just the king who is in front of him, but the king of kings who is behind and over him. And Moses always has regard for him. And so he does not give in to the fear or pressure of, uh, of, of Moses. Again, one more, and I believe this is, again, John MacArthur. Right choices are made on the basis of right faith. Often we cannot see the consequences of our choices. Satan tries to make his way seem attractive and good. And God's way seem hard and unenjoyable. When we know God's will in a matter, we choose it by faith. We know it is the right choice because it is God's will. Even before we see the results, God's will is the only reason we need. Uh, And then I had originally included a somewhat lengthy section, which I'm not going to (laughs) do, on Consider those who caved in to fear in the Bible. 
rather than exercising faith. Think about Abraham, who was afraid that he would be killed by these Philistine rulers because his wife was so attractive. And so what does he do? He lies. Not just once, but twice. He lies because he's afraid. Think about Aaron. Think about Aaron as the people are grumbling and complaining and putting pressure on him because Moses has been gone a long time. What does Aaron do? He caves into fear and creates a golden calf, an idol, and leads the people in worship. Oh, great. Nice going. Think about the spies sent to scout the promised land. What happens? Two of them come back and say, yeah, God has promised us the land. We can do it. Ten have no such faith in God or trust in him. And they are terrified. There are giants in the land. There are a lot of them, and there are not as many of us, and we don't even know how to fight. Don't go there. So they didn't go there for 40 years, (laughs) wandering in the desert. That's what fear did instead of faith. Last one. Think about Peter. What, what What did fear and caving into pressure do to Peter? He denied that he even knew Christ three times. Not faith in the face of fear, (laughs) but denial in the face of fear. This is what fear does. This is why (laughs) we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by feelings. Well, I just feel it's the right thing for God wants me to do. Not that there's anything in the Bible that gives that indication. I just feel like it. We live by faith, not by feelings. We live by faith, not by fear. See Moses' parents. See Moses as he stands up before Pharaoh. And, and see, see how incredibly um, practical and relevant and applicable this is to the audience of the Hebrews. Remember, that's what they're facing. They are facing pressure to cave in and leave off from following Christ and go back to Old Testament Judaism. And the writer gives this brief biographical sketch of part of the life of Moses to encourage them. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to the surrounding pressures. First of all, you have a God who is bigger than all of that. And second of all, even if you are persecuted, even to death, you have a reward in heaven that is far greater than any persecution that you could possibly endure here. This is written not as a theological treatise. It's written as a pastoral letter to suffering Christians to encourage them and to comfort them. And so then in verse 28, 
We see, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not uh, touch them. And so uh, here we'll use that as a doorway to consider uh, the comparison between Moses as the Savior of Israel and Jesus as the Savior of sinners. Because Moses surely is a type foreshadowing the coming of Christ. Just think of the ways in which Moses and Jesus are similar. Moses is born under the reign of a lunatic pharaoh who is hell-bent on killing him. Jesus is born under the reign of a lunatic king who is hell-bent on killing him in his infancy. Moses' parents take measures to escape the threat of death on his life and to preserve him. Jesus' parents take measures to run away to protect and preserve their infant son. Moses lives in the lap of luxury. He's in Pharaoh's court in Egypt at its height. He has comfort. He has convenience. He has all of these things around him. This is Moses' life for 40 years. Jesus, from all eternity, lives in the glory of heaven. Sinless perfection all around him. Eternal fellowship with his Father and the Holy Spirit. And yet Moses, though he was rich, decided to become poor in order to identify with his people. In the same way, Jesus, though he was rich, volunteered to leave the riches of glory in which he had already dwelt for eternity, to become poor, to be born in a manger, to be born as a human being, to identify with his people whom he came to save. But here's where the comparisons diverge. Moses was faithful in observing the Passover and instructing the Israelites concerning everything regarding the Passover and to sacrifice the Passover lamb and smear the blood over the top of the door and on the doorposts so that when the destroying angel would come, it is said, when I see the blood, I will pass over the houses of those who are trusting in that alone to be spared from death. Moses instructed sacrificing the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus meets with his disciples at a Passover meal, as their last supper. And he says, you have heard that it was said in so many words, not a direct quote from the Bible. (laughs) Remember the Passover and the Exodus and what God did. He saved us. He rescued us. He delivered us when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, when there was no way we could do anything in any way to change our state or condition. God saved us, and he did it by the blood of the Lamb. And so hold this Passover in remembrance of those things. But Jesus now comes in, meeting with his disciples, and says, now, when you eat this bread 
and drink this cup. No longer do this in remembrance of the exodus from, is, from Egypt. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm the Passover. God saves you from your sins when you were weak, helpless, hopeless, dead in your sins and trespasses. You could do nothing in any way to change your state or condition. And what God has done is he has saved us, he has rescued us, he has delivered us, he has freed us, not from Egyptian bondage, but from sins, slavery, and bondage. And Jesus says in these elements, and this is how God did it, he did it by the blood of the Lamb. And on that day of judgment, God won't be looking to see whether our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds or whether we're sincere or how good we've been. No, it will be when I see the blood of my Son and those who are trusting in Him for their only hope of salvation, when I see the blood, God says, in judgment I will pass over those whose only trust is in Jesus in visiting judgment on those who are outside of faith in Christ. No, Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the faith of Moses as an example and encouragement to us. We ask for the grace to also be followers of Christ, not empty professors of belief, but true faith and following. And we ask for your help and that we also may stand in the evil day uh, and, and continue to stand, knowing that you who have promised is faithful and trusting only in the blood of the Lamb of God, our Savior, Jesus, who gave himself up for us, shed his blood to protect us from the judgment our sins deserved. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.